0: I'm Silas Farley. I'm a dancer with New York City Ballet, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to Hear the Dance. In this episode, we'll explore Afternoon of a Fawn, choreographed by Jerome Robbins. The ballet's name is the English translation of its music's title, Prélude à l'après-midi d'un faune, a lush and evocative score by Claude Debussy. Debussy based his composition on a poem of the same name by the French symbolist poet Stéphane Mallarmé. The poem is an éclogue that recounts the amorous musings of a mythical pipe-playing faun. In 1912, this Debussy score was presented by Diaghilev's Ballet Russe in a now legendary choreographic form by Vaslav Nijinsky. Though already established as a star dancer, Nijinsky made his debut as a dance maker with this piece. He cast himself as the faun, accompanied by a chorus of nymphs. Nijinsky's ballet proved to both captivate and scandalize its first audiences, with its angular movement language, in which the dancers appeared like the strictly profiled figures in an ancient frieze, and with the final sequence, in which the faun made love to the discarded veil of one of the nymphs. The ballet would be immortalized in a series of photographs by Baron Adolf de Meyer. Nijinsky's life and art had long fascinated Jerome Robbins when, in 1953, he came to choreograph his own version of Afternoon of a Fawn. In dancer parlance, the Robbins' version is simply called Fawn, and the dancer's perspective is perhaps the theme of the whole piece. The Robbins' Fawn takes place in a ballet studio, where the audience is understood to be the mirror. It is here that two young dancers, A boy and a girl encounter each other and dance an innocently sensual pas de deux. They almost never look into each other's eyes. Their gazes remain fixed in the mirror. At least two moments had inspired Jerry to reimagine Fawn in this particular way. One was when he saw the young Edward Vellella stretching in a studio at the School of American Ballet, and the other was when he saw Lewis Johnson, then an S.A.B. student, as he and a female student practiced the white swan pas de deux from Swan Lake, all the while looking intently into the mirror and not at each other. Robbins choreographed the ballet for his muse Tanaki Leclerc and Francisco Mancion. I recently sat down with Kay Mezo and Dr. Afshin Mofid, two former City Ballet dancers who worked closely with Mr. Robbins on this ballet. Ms. Mezo first danced Fawn in the early 1960s with Jerry's touring company, Ballets USA. She now serves as SAB's chairman of faculty. Dr. Mofid first danced Fawn in the early 1980s with City Ballet. He is now head of the Mofid Clinic of Chiropractic in Boise, Idaho. Here is our conversation. Kay Mezo, Afshin Mofid, welcome to the Hear the Dance podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Kay, Fawn marked the start of your career as a professional dancer. Could you share with us how all of that came about?
1: I was a student at our school, School of American Ballet, and Jerome Robbins' uh, West Side Story had just come out in movie form, and we all loved it. And... Mr. Robbins was having an audition, an open audition in New York City. So all of my whole class, we all went to do the audition just to see Jerome Robbins. So we did the audition and I know he needed, he was looking for somebody to dance afternoon of a fawn. So he certainly didn't choose me because of my jazz background. (laughs) Although I had taken jazz classes from Arthur Mitchell and from my ballet school in Chicago. So he, after that huge audition, I did about probably eight or ten more ballet classes that Jerry gave and then rehearsals that he would give us for about a two or three week span. And then I was told that he would like me to be in his company. So I was thrilled. Um, I had to ask Mr. Balanchine's permission because I was studying at the school and I wanted to get into New York City Ballet. And Balanchine said, it's fine. Uh, he was taking no apprentices at that time. He said, you'll come back. I was going to be gone part of spring in the summer. And he said, fine, you come back. And I said, yes, sir, I, I'm coming back. And uh, I got permission. I didn't speak to Mr. Balanchine at that point. I spoke to the Russians who were at our school. It was probably Miss Russov or Miss Glebov or Miss Molostrov. And I got the okay from Mr. Balanchine. So I went and I danced in Jerry's company and the first ballet I ever did on stage was in Paris and it was afternoon of a fawn and luckily I was 15 and didn't realize how extraordinary that was but uh, yeah it was wonderful
0: and what was that rehearsal process like with Jerry as he taught it to you
1: it was long Um, we rehearsed many 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 hours of But he was very explicit and knew exactly what he wanted and how he wanted us to look. And I danced with John Jones, mostly, who was a beautiful ballet and jazz dancer. And I loved dancing with him. And he was a a wonderful partner to me. You know, being at such a young age, it was great to have somebody who I could depend on. And that was Johnny. And Jerry worked with us. There was also another wonderful dancer, Veronica Mlockar who was learning Afternoon of a Fawn, and a couple of other dancers. Glenn Tetley was also learning it, and Scott Douglas was learning the ballet, but I danced it mostly with Johnny. And Jerry was, as we all know, very explicit as to how he wanted the ballet to look, and how he wanted us not to appear as if we were acting, to be very natural. And it was hard also to, to dance looking at a mirror and then he would rehearse us not looking in the mirror. And so I remember him, I would turn around and he'd say, no, no, you have to keep looking at yourself. Come back and turn around quickly to look. It was something that you had to get used to. We'd never done that in anything before. And of course, I had very few ballets that I danced before. So, uh, But uh, he was um, a taskmaster, uh, but always really wonderful to me. Couldn't have been a more dear man, when I danced the ballet in Paris, the first performance, he didn't let any of the company dancers stand in the wings because he said, I don't want you to get somehow affected or or think of of everybody watching you. So I just had, I had nobody in the wings. They were just empty and I just danced the ballet right there for the audience. So Mm. he was pretty wonderful to me.
0: And Kay, you were so young on that tour. And it was also your first time on an airplane. And what was that experience of being on tour with all of these more experienced dancers at such a young age?
1: Well, I certainly did feel, I mean, my mother came with me. I never would have managed to deal with anything before. As you said, it was my first time on a plane. I'd been in Chicago, where I came from originally, and I'd gone to New York. And that was about the only places I'd ever been. So we got on one of the Ford engine planes and took forever to get to Italy. And I was supposed to dance opening night in Spoleto, but I got food poisoning. And then so I danced my opening in Paris. Uh, We went to London, Paris, Sweden, Denmark. Uh, Then we had a season in New York. It opened my eyes to everything, to the world. But being 15, it was fun. Jerry was wonderful to me. I think there were 20 of us in the company and we had about an eight, eight or nine ballet repertoire. So, and we danced a lot. Uh, I loved it. I didn't want to do anything else. Uh, the other dancers, they were older. I think they were not as, as pleased and he, he could be very difficult with some of them. And yet, you know, again, I, I was sort of just in my own little world of how lucky I was, which I was. So my mom was there and, um, you know, we'd go out to dinner, which I'd hardly ever done before either, you know, and it would be out every night and then new hotels. And, and the audience loved the company because, again, everybody was looking at West Side Story movie. Then people were doing the twist. He did a ballet with the twist in it. The audience just went, they loved the rep. And we had, and it was a very diverse group of dancers. We had some ballet dancers, Veronica Mlockar, Scott Douglas, Glenn Tetley, Barbara Milberg, Muriel Bentley. Were They were all the ballet dancers. Uh, then we had Jane Norman, Eddie Verso, Tommy Abbott, Pat Dunn, this beautiful modern jazz dancer. She was just extraordinary. So you had this combination. And it was, it, again, it, not only diverse in, in their past, but also diverse, you know, Hispanic and black and white. And it was just everything. And Europe just went crazy. They, they adored Jerry Robinson. And part of
0: Jerry's inspiration for the ballet when he very first did it in 53 was on the one hand, he'd seen the young Eddie Valella stretching in the studios at SAB. And he'd also seen a young black student at SAB, Louis Johnson working on the white swan patada with another young dancer and the way that they were partnering each other, but they weren't looking at each other, they were looking in the mirror. And I think he had maybe even wanted to use Lewis Johnson when he very first choreographed him. So there was at least the idea of casting a black man and a white woman almost from the inception of the piece. And when you came to dance it with John Jones, that actually happened. And what was it like dancing with John Jones and particularly when you performed it at the White House,
1: as I said, being fifteen, I'd never had a, any any experience dancing ballets and dancing something like Fawn, which took a lot of concentration and was so different than any other ballets that anybody did because of the mirror aspect of it. And I, I think I've said before, Johnny was a wonderful partner. When we went and danced it at the White House, it was. Um, Pretty extraordinary. And who did we dance it for? And the Shah of
0: Iran and the Empress, Farah Pahlavi.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And we also did Opus Jazz, some parts of Opus Jazz at that performance. But um, I think they liked Jerry's ballets. <laughs> they seemed to be very happy. Of course, he was the only one who went to the dinner afterwards, Mr. Robbins did. and But he was thrilled because it was Kennedy.
0: And it was Ballet's USA performing at the White House, which is the first time that a ballet company had ever performed at the White House, which is pretty amazing. And the guests of honor were the Shah of Iran and the Empress Farah Pahlavi. And our other wonderful guest on the podcast today, Afshin Mofid, has a very special connection to the Empress Farah Pahlavi because she funded his scholarship to the School of American Ballet as a teenager. So what was, what was that experience like for you, Afshin, to come all the way from Tehran to Manhattan to continue your ballet training?
2: First of all, Silas, I want to say thank you for reaching out to me and uh, doing this interview. And also, it's an honor to be on the same podcast with Kay Mazo, which I used to have a big crush on when I was a teenager. <laughs> she was, she was on, her, on her way out as far as. Uh, being a ballerina, she was retiring as I came into the company. So this is wonderful to be on the same program with her. Okay. Now, as far as that experience, what was it like coming here? Well, you know, even for an American child who was born here, moving to New York city is a huge, huge, huge uh, change. And so I was coming from a completely different country, different culture, and it was very Disorienting, I should say because i hadn't I hadn't even finished high school when I came here I was in in the ninth grade, and so I went to high school. I didn't speak any English, <clears throat> barely any English, and then I auditioned for the School of American Ballet, and that was the purpose that was the reason I had moved to the United States because I started ballet in Iran at the age of nine. There was a music conservatory that they had just opened up a ballet section to it, and I was one of the first two boys that entered that class and after a few years there was the teachers weren't good enough and there was no place to go to, to to train so somebody told my dad you need to take send this kid to the united states and at the time he couldn't afford it because it was very expensive with going to private high school and ballet school and um now i believe kay you and i went to the same high school did you go to rose high school i did
1: yeah. I did go to Rhodes. but and It took so, me five or six years to get through it because they would not allow me to be missing any classes. Yeah. So, it, right. it was a tough school, I remember. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, it was very you know tough. I had to wear a tie. You couldn't wear jeans. You couldn't wear tennis shoes. I was like, what is going on here? I just want to dance. <laughs> 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 but anyways, I, I, you had to, to do what you had to do. But um, oh, because my dad could not afford to send me he was a a well-known playwright in Iran. And because he was known, he had asked, and the Queen Farah, who you mentioned earlier, the Empress, was a very, was a big patron of the arts in Iran. And she had a special office for artists who wanted to continue their education abroad, but it was only for masters or PhD level. It wasn't for little kids. But in my case, they made an exception most likely because of my father and they said okay you know he wants to go study in new york so we'll give him a scholarship so they gave me a scholarship that's how i ended up in new york Went, long story short i auditioned for sab and i started a, in intermediate in the intermediate class i was auditioned by Chumkovsky, Madam Chumkovsky. and from there i eventually after three years mr Balanchine uh, came to class and watched class and asked me to join the company and that's how I ended up in the New York City Ballet. I think also I'd seen, I don't know if Kay, if you were in any of the PBS broadcasts, did you do Violin Concerto when they filmed it? Yeah, I did. So I had seen the New York City Ballet in Iran on TV. I think it was either Agon or Violin Concerto and we were trained more in the kind of the classical, we didn't know anything about neoclassical or you know, we'd heard of Mr. B, but I just i never seen a ballet like that, so I was always very curious as to you know is that really ballet or what are they doing? I was very curious, and I didn't know we were very limited as to what we could see over there. And so when I came uh, to the United States, it was uh, it was a big eye opener. Like you were asking me, not only culturally but artistically. You know, you just see so much going on in that city at that time, and I'm sure still the same. I haven't been back to New York since the fiftieth anniversary reunion. But in the 1970s, it was just ballet was just exploding because of many, many reasons, but Nureyev and Baryshnikov. And so for a young boy, I was looking for, you know, learning more and and being a part of a bigger, bigger school and learning more. So it was an honor to get into SAB first. And then really, when I got in the company, I was like, I could not believe it. I was like, wow, really? You want me to come and dance with you? <laughs> and so it was, it was really exciting.
1: You were in intermediate. How old were you?
2: I was 16 when I started intermediate men's. And then after a couple of years, I was moved up to advanced.
1: Fabulous.
0: Yeah. Richard Rapp. Richard Great Rapp. teacher. Great teacher. When you're a student at SAV, you can get free tickets to see the performances at City Ballet. And you had mm-hmm. an experience like that seeing Afternoon of the Fawn for the first time. Could you share this a little bit about that?
2: Yes. We usually got tickets to the fourth ring way upstanding, but for some reason that day I had gotten a ticket to the third ring on the right side. And I was looking straight down. I remember seeing Afternoon of a fawn with Helgi, but I, for some reason I can't remember who the ballerina was. Maybe it was Kay, maybe it was Patty, but.
1: um, I bet it was Patty. I bet it was Patty. Patty.
2: Yeah. So I, I do remember seeing that was the first time i'd seen fawn, and I was fascinated by it as a boy as a as a young male dancer you're you're constantly looking for people to do things so you can relate to like double tours or pirouettes or things that you know very limited understanding of dance um, and so I was like wow they didn't do they didn 't do any of that he didn't do any of that, but yet I was mesmerized by it first of all, the music the score is beautiful, it's very dreamy, as you know. It was just beautiful. So I, I remember seeing it the first time at the State Theater um, when I was about 17, I think.
0: And then you also saw the Nijinsky version not long after that,
2: correct? Yes. And then, of course, Joffrey, they used to sometimes give us, give at L- the School of American Ballet free tickets as well. So I got one of those tickets and went to see the reproduction of Nijinsky's with Nureyev. And, uh, and I don't know how accurate it was, because nobody really knows what it looked like back then. But but it was fascinating. It was uh, just seeing the two versions and seeing Nureyev and seeing a completely different take on that same score. And then realizing that that was done first, and this one was done later, you know, putting it all chronologically together, it was it was interesting. But I do remember seeing Rudy. And so i had seen the two versions that I knew I liked the music. And also I'd seen uh, Jean-Pierre Bonfou and Patti McBride on tour. I, Jean-Pierre and Patty used to have a small company uh, of dancers, some of them from SAB and some were from the company, and we would go on tour around New York. And I remember I did one of those tours with Jean-Pierre and Patty and Jean-Pierre danced it with Patti, and i have seen it over there as well
0: so this ballet takes place in a studio and I'd love to go into the studio with the two of you what was that experience like for you learning the piece in the studio from Jerome Robbins?
2: well like Kay mentioned earlier I um she was very young I was also very young I was like I think 19 or 20 when I learned it and um I just seen my name up on the roster backstage Uh, back then they used to handwrite it and put it back there I don't know how it's done today but it was like you know, fawn, robins, mofito. I was like, wow, really? That's awesome. <laughs> I was very excited, but I was very scared because I didn't know what this was going to be like. But Jerry uh, taught it to me himself, which was kind of unusual back then. I think it was unusual because you know he had a lot of ballet masters that that taught other ballets, but he wanted to specifically teach it to me himself. Lucky like taught uh, Kay, and he was very specific about every little move so we started with me uh, because that's how the ballet starts with the male dancer and he he went over every step phrase by phrase broke it down and very meticulous you know don't do too much don't do too little I mean it was just like you're always walking a very fine line and Jerry as you know uh, was not very flexible with his choreography it wasn't like Mr. Balanchine's where it kind of gave you a little room Jerry was very meticulous, so you had to do exactly what he told you. And then after the movements, he would add on to the the motivation or the thought behind the movement. So it was one layer, the movement, the superficial layer, and and then he would get behind it and explain to you what your motivation is. And you couldn't come up with your own motivation. It was his motivation for you for the step. And so you did what he told you. And uh, at least this is how I approached it. I just, I, I didn't feel like I had any room to wiggle there. And that was my first experience. And then after Jerry, we, did, we worked together for two weeks every day for two hours at the current Juilliard building, but the old SAB. And, and then after he was done in two weeks, he taught me everything. Then he called uh, Frank Moncion to come in to teach me whatever he knew and Frank, you know, federal around with some of the steps. And then he got all frustrated and he, and he would say, well, he's changed all of this. <laughs> he was all frustrated with Jerry. He was like, he's changed all of this. <laughs> like, <okay. laughs> I'm like, just teach me what I need to know. I don't know what he did before with you, but, but just teach me what I need to know. But, um, I mean, I'm wondering how much change could be in that ballet because there's not a whole lot in it. I mean, there's just a few steps, but, he, you know, he did change some stuff. And then after that was done, then Darcy Kistler and I, who we both danced it for the first time together, she came in and then at that point, I think Sally Leland was the one that taught us the, the pas de deux together. And then Jerry came back after that and finished everything and, cl- and uh, cleaned it up. So we, we, we worked a lot on it. It wasn't like they didn't throw me on, say, learn this and go on stage and do it. He took the time and he really worked
0: with us. Afshin, how did he describe to you what the sequence and the almost narrative is for the male dancer in the piece? He,
2: he just said, you know, you're, this is a hot summer day, humid day in a studio New York City. That was it. That was, that was the guidance. some particular steps, he would say, this is the fawn pushing through the grass, for example. That's the image he would give you to work with. He would give you little little words here and there, but because it's so intense and you read, like Kay mentioned earlier, you had to really, really focus. You couldn't, you could not space out and in the middle of it, think about something else because he would pick it up, number one, and you would just lose the tension. And I don't know how he would know that, but he could see it. And I, and I experienced this one performance, I told you before, I, one of the performances after I'd done it a few times, I, was, I had something going on in my life. I don't know, it was a girlfriend issue, whatever. I, I spaced out for just a few minutes. And he, he came back on stage and says, no, you're, you're, you're just moving, you were moving out there. You were not doing my ballet, you were you doing fun. You were doing fun. You were like acting like you're doing fun. And so I don't know how he picked it up, but he picked it up. He had antennas. He was really in tune. But I realized after a while that after a few performances and thinking back now that the whole ballet is, is like a long sentence. It's, a, it's one long phrase where you have to maintain it. It's like in the opera when somebody sings, you have to hold a note in an aria for a long time. It's the same thing with this ballet. You gotta hold this tension all the way through. If you let it down, if you let it go, it just collapses and, and something happens. I don't know what happens, but people pick it up. It's very strange. So you gotta hold the tension all the way and keep the focus.
1: You know, I get the same feeling that you do, that, that you know he—you couldn't go very far and you from the steps, you know, and, and Jerry taught us all of that. But he then did let you go with it in a, in a way, you know? I mean, it, it, not as much as balancing. I totally agree with that. But, but I think, again, it was like balancing. Once he trusted you, you could, you could fiddle with it a little bit. But I think to me, Jerry's, when he would work with us on anything, his stance, his body language was so much more grounded than a ballet dancer. In ballet you always think up and high and lifting. Mm-hmm. And Jerry was into the ground more and, and heavier. I mean walking away, you know, the, when you walk in fawn away from mm-hmm. each other, it was yeah. it was not, you know, I'm walking like a ballet, it was it was walking True. like a person in a class. Yeah. But it was it was it was heavier the body language was heavier. And, and, and some of it was like pushing through, what we talk about sometimes in ballet class, pushing through water to make the arms stronger and give more weight to them, you know, rather than just lift them up. You you pushed, you pushed, you pushed, you, pushed, you know? Right, right. And, and, and he would he would show it. He wouldn't talk about it. He would be explaining. It wasn't, It wasn't verbal. Ballet is what you see. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it, you know, you'd watch him and see what he wanted you to do. And, and that's how he looked often, you know, it was heavy. And for the man, it was very manly always. Mm.
2: That's very true. He, um, he, he used to say pushing through cold honey. (laughs) That's how he put it. Like you were saying, pushing through water or seaweed, and then he would use these images. But I agree with you, he is, now that you mentioned, it, he was all, he was very earthy and down to the ground. He
1: dances at a gathering. So when the curtain goes up and the man walks on stage, it's not a ballet dancer, it's somebody walking like a person, mm-hmm. and with weight. You know, mm-hmm. not the ballet dancer, not the mm-hmm. male dancer. You're mm-hmm. people, you're not dancers. I don't mm-hmm. want to see acting, I, and then fawn too. You're yeah. acting, but it was still, you're a student or you're in the studio. It's, you know, that's all you want to think about. You're not making it great, a great drama. No, mm-hmm. not at all. And, and right. in a way, Balanchine was the same way. You know, do the steps. The steps will be enough to tell you what the drama is about. Right. They both had the same thought process going on. I don't want a lot of acting. I don't want a lot of... Sturm und Drang.
0: (laughs) And Afshin, you had talked to me a little bit about how he had you experiment with different approaches to moments in the choreography and even with the costuming a little bit also.
2: Yeah, he did not want me to experiment with this choreography, but with props, uh, he had me leave my t-shirt, white t-shirt, on the bar for one of the performances just to kind of Heightened the the sensation of feel of a practice like a you know if somebody's practicing after class maybe resting uh and so i left the t-shirt on the bar and of course the curtain went up with the t-shirt on it and the dancers were like backstage they were all watching they were horrified because they thought i left my t-shirt <laughs> and they thought jerry's gonna come back and yell at me <laughs> and, and of course, but, but what happened was apparently from the audience, it's so small, it's just that it looked like a little dish rag and they couldn't tell what it was. So it was just something hanging on the bar. So it didn't, didn't work the way Jerry wanted it to. So he came back and told me that, you know, to, to go back to the normal version. So he, I, I'd never heard him experiment with that, but that was the first time I think
0: and Afshin, you had mentioned that there was a moment, particularly when sometimes the man would actually touch the woman's hair, and other times wouldn't. Could you share mm-hmm. a little bit?
2: Yeah, I when when I was learning it, the way he taught it to me is when she's standing there with a, her foot is on Tandu back, and her back, her head is tilted back, and long hair is going down her back, and the man comes and barely touches, it and just you just run. He was telling me not to touch her hair, but to feel like there's some sort of electrical currents going through her hair and my hand. But later I heard that he told other people, to it's okay to go touch the hair. And so some people touched this, some people didn't. And he used different imagery, different approach with different
1: people. That's what he told me, not to touch her hair. When I was dancing, it was never touching. When I saw other dancers dance it in City Ballet, it was never touching. It was so close. But it was like yeah. almost, you didn't want to touch it. You know something that's so perfect you want to make sure that you just don't mess it up in any way
2: and then from that point on you grab her hand and you bring her up into an arabesque or an attitude and I just, I, I bring that up because I remember that Mr. Balanchine was in the wings and saw this. We were doing it with Darcy when I was dancing with Darcy. I went down and grabbed her hand and came up. And I'm not sure what, if I was thinking about her hair or about her hand. And I was nervous about Mr. B watching. So something went, was a little shaky. I mean, she didn't fall or anything. But then he came after the performance. He, Mr. B, pulled us apart. And he worked on that section with Darcy and I on how to grab her hand and then bring her up forward so she doesn't feel wobbly. She was very meticulous. Of course he loved Darcy, so he wanted her to look good. And and it really helped also with with the partnering because I was having a little problem. So it was interesting that he was there and he, he wanted to help us with that. It was interesting.
0: And there's a beautiful moment in the ballet, too, that Balanchine choreographed. As he was seeing it, he, he suggested that Jerry make a little shift in the choreography when the man has made the circle of his arms and the woman comes through the circle of his arms and picks her up so she's parallel to the ground. And then there's a ping in the music, at which point she bends one of her feet and knee and her wrists. And it just makes Mm -hmm. a little contraction on a moment in the music. And that was a suggestion and change that Balanchine had given to Jerry. And Jerry took it. And he would say that it was like the master's mark in the painting. Yes.
2: Master's mark in the student's painting. Yes. That's what Jerry (laughs) told me.
0: Could you both share with us a little bit about the dynamic of dancing as if you're looking in the mirror, but you're not, and you're building this relationship and this eye contact through the mirror, but you're not actually looking at your partner throughout the ballet?
1: I think it's just something that, that I think we both had to work on quite a bit. And since we both worked with Jerry, he really zeroed in on it, and you never forgot it the minute you walked into ballet studio in the ballet you know you you knew what you were looking at and it took it took a lot of of concentration it was almost like you know um when you do tai chi you know that you have to move slowly but and you're moving in a different way in a different thought process it was a little bit like that that you had to totally forget everything. As as you were saying that, you know, you couldn't be on that stage and be thinking about something else. Not in that ballet. There was one time when you're you're both on either side and you come to the center and, you know, it was kind of hard to know, are you looking at yourself or are you looking at the fellow over there that's doing the step? And I remember asking Jerry about it once and he said, you can look at either. You know, you can be watching yourself, but then when you turn around, maybe you're looking over here a little bit, watching him. That that he gave you a little leeway.
2: Because of the set, as you know, the set is all white and lots of light on you. So when you looked out, it was just this darkness out there with one little red light way in the back. Like, like Kay was saying, it's, it took a lot of focus and also took a lot of, concentration just to learn to dance with somebody without looking at them because we're always used to looking at our partner and looking out straight into the dark uh it was it was interesting it was very challenging in the beginning but um but because you had to focus uh, on the choreography on the music on on all the stuff that we already talked about and you can't look at her when this thing ended Kay had mentioned Tai Chi. It was like almost like coming out of a trance for me. It's like you're meditating, and then you come out of this trance into the world again. It's it's so it was so intense, but it took some time to to get used to dancing with somebody, especially when they're on point. Because when women wear tutus, obviously you can't see their feet, so you got to kind of go by the feel and the the position of their hips. So you know where they are in space so you can help them. But when you can't look at them and they're on point, that takes a lot of rehearsing, a lot of getting used to, because you don't know where the feet is. You don't know what their body is. You just, you're just kind of going by, by rote, by practice.
1: And there, and there are some places where, where the fellow has to let you swing out. Yeah. You know, so, you're, so you're off your weight. So and he's right. not. You're right. You're not watching her. You're watching. You're watching front. So yeah. you have to get used to one another. And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It was lots of fun dancing that ballet. Yeah, it was. When we did it at City ba- at at City Center, the 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 set took the whole stage. But at the State Theater, there were about four or five feet that you had to walk that there was no set, which made it very different than dancing it in that smaller city center set.
2: Mm-hmm. And it was, it was fun, Kay, it was so much fun to dance. And I was telling Silas uh, when we were talking before that you know at least for boys, you know, you, you train at SAB or any other school to do jumps and turns and you work on your technique and then you kind of dream of doing Some ballet that involves a lot of those things, and then you get a lot of applause. But with this, you don't do anything, and you get all the applause. It was just like fantastic. (laughs) I can't believe it. I barely did, I barely moved, and people liked it. I was just (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) That's where the art comes in. You got to put in something to it to make it interesting, to make it happening.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: What were some of your favorite moments in the ballet for each of you can answer?
1: I, I think I, I said, Silas, I loved coming in and doing the very the beginning of it and sort of slowly getting into the feeling of what the ballet was. I think also that the kiss was so wonderful because, you know, you're, you're the girl is looking at this, at looking in the mirror, then he kisses her. And as she goes to turn to look at him, he looks back at the mirror. <laughs> A moment of real mystery. What, did, what does this person that I've been dancing with really think of me? And I want to see, but he's not looking at me. So I guess I can't see and I guess I just have to go back to who I was before, <laughs> you know, that I was this person and I'll, now I'm leaving. But I think that Kisses is so poetic and the way it's with the music is just so beautiful.
2: You know, this may sound strange to you, but again, I I have to say it's because of the way this ballet is structured. It's to me, it was like a one long sentence or a poem or whatever you want to call it. It was one long something that had a beginning and an end that you had to create it. So I always, there's two places that I really liked in this, three places actually. The kiss was definitely one of them, but the very beginning when the boys his back is to the audience and he lifts his foot up. That is the first, you know, your first move. You kind of, you're starting this whole thing. And then the very, very end where you slide back and you arch your back and your head is back. That is like the period in that sentence I was telling you that you put the period on it, but there was some great feeling. There was a cool like literally cool feeling like your body would cool off when you, when you slid back and you went back like that and you held it for a moment and you slowly came down and you went back to sleep and depending on if you felt good about it you, you would know how this is going to end if, if it felt good and it was a good performance it was a, just a great feeling you're just going to go back and then you hear this, the curtains go kaboom and then come down on you that was an awesome feeling for me. I was very young, so some of the things that I remember is kind of like through the eyes of a you know, late teenager or early 20s, right? Maybe if I was more mature, I'd remember other parts of it, but other things about it, but that's what I
0: remember. And Kay, how do you feel that you grew in the role or moments that you found in it that meant different things to you as you matured as a dancer?
1: Well, you know, I think, Silas, it would be when you danced with different people. Mm. When I danced it with Frank Muncion which was hardly at all but he was one of the originals you know I mean it uh, people in it um it it always would be a different ballet between Frank and um Jacques and Peter and uh you know such different personalities and um different ways of partnering and so it you know and and then then getting older and understanding the ballet better, but it's still it to to me it's the simplicity of it that was so important, and that you wanted to you wanted to keep that um, purity and naivety there. You know, it's not something where like Swan Lake. You know, I'm going to get more mature and you. Know, and as you were saying, it's it's not fouettés, it's not double tours. It's so just being able to still enter it with all that thought behind, okay, I'm, I'm a student, I'm a person, I'm not a ballet dancer. And, and it, it was something to work on always, no matter how many years you did it. And you knew you had to get in that mindset before you started that ballet and not, you know, not act, don't act. So it evolved, but... Uh, always interesting always a challenge Mm -hmm. challenge and it it, I think as you get older doing that ballet it's the challenge is not to be I'm a ballerina getting on stage now you know you had to be still that dancer in the studio very different than usually when you go up that ladder of being in the core Mm -hmm. and then soloist and then principal you know, more is expected of how you look and how you take over the stage. Mm, not in this ballet. This ballet had to be more pure.
2: Yes, very well said. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I was not a principal dancer, but I'm, I imagine like if you, if you had to do theme and variation and then agon and this and that, and then suddenly you have to do this, it's difficult. Like you have to, you know, tone it down again and go back to, to uh, what Kay said, being a student and just being, pure and innocent and just making it look like it's spontaneous and is actually happening on stage.
1: Yeah. Cause can you imagine if all of a sudden you decided that you were going to be either a principal dancer coming in or, or, or something else, a femme fatale. I mean, it could yeah. be, it could be a disaster. The ballet it could be a disaster. <laughs>
0: Silence is
1: would really be. laughing now.
0: Yeah,
2: it really would be awful.
0: Some ballets, their complexity is the challenge, and this one, the simplicity Yeah, is the It's like so many of the Robbins ballets in that you have to have mastered so much to make so little as rich and uh, compelling as it really is. Because he relies on those subtle gestures in so many of his ballets, and especially in this one. Hey, this ballet was really like the bookends of your career. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes, I. Uh, so it was the first ballet I ever danced when I was fifteen, and when I stopped dancing, I was three three months pregnant, and we came out here to Long Island, to East Hampton, and they were we did a performance at Guild Hall, and Sean Lavery partnered me in Afternoon of a Fawn. so it was the last ballet I danced, and um, it was it was a wonderful evening because my husband told everybody in the audience that he knew, and it's a very small little audience that I was expecting a baby. So everybody was very excited about it. And Yeah, it was, it was, one of, it was the last ballet I danced.
0: <laughs> so beautiful, Kay. And Afshin, you were in the company for seven years, and there was a time in that period where you were the only male dancer that Jerry would cast in this ballet. And you danced it with several different partners. And could you talk a little bit about the <laughs> dynamic of working with the different ballerinas and what this role meant to you in that? New York City Ballet season of your life?
2: Mm. Well, it was, um, I think it was the first big principal role that I was given to dance. So it was a very important and dear to me to this day. I just, I really uh, cherish the times I spent with Jerry, with all the ballerinas, I danced with Darcy first and then with Suzanne and then with Kira and then Maria Caligari. And and yes, for for a few I, I guess as long if I can remember correctly, as long as I was in the company, I was the only one that danced it. I remember well Jean-Pierre Frolic danced it in Saratoga once with Lisa Jackson, but in New York I was the one that danced them and he would change the ballerinas. And I remember joking with Sean Lavery. Sean was like, Gosh, what is up with you? You get to dance all these performances. We don't get to dance that ballet. <laughs> But I don't know what Jerry was thinking. You know, Jerry was Jerry just like, you know, he liked me in it and he just kept putting me in, in it and changing the ballerinas. Uh, Darcy was, um, she, she was closer to my age. So I was the more relaxed with her and we had more fun dancing it. But um, Suzanne, I was very nervous and she was coming back from an injury. It was her first ballet coming back from an injury. But it was an honor to dance with her. I was very nervous. She was wonderful, but I was just afraid I was going to drop her or something's going to go wrong. And not only will I have Jerry mad at me and then Mr. B mad at me and, and everybody mad at me. <laughs> I was very young, and, but it all, it all went well with her. And, uh, and then uh, Kira was a wonderful partner as was Maria. How lucky was I, I got to dance with all these ballerinas and I got to dance in this beautiful ballet with a wonderful choreographer at a wonderful time. And uh, those times for me will obviously will never be repeated. And everything I've done in my life past that, it doesn't really give me the same feeling. Uh, when I was, I, I stopped dancing when I was 26, I left the company when I was 26, I was very young. And I was seeing a counselor trying to figure out what am I gonna do with my life. And, uh, her name was Dr. Judith Coopersmith. She was actually one of the dancers in the New York City Ballet way back in the 50s. And she's a, she was a psychologist or psychiatrist. And she, told, she gave me an advice, which was wonderful. And I know this is kind of like off the topic here. But you said what it meant to me. She said, when you leave the company or if you want to leave this profession, don't ever out there, don't ever look for anything else that is going to give you the same feeling the same closeness and oneness because if you do that you're always going to be unhappy and so i've always listened to what she said i always remember what she said because there's nothing that can give you that feeling of being on stage and doing something a ballet like that and the curtain comes down and you just feel so i mean besides what the audience feel is what you feel inside and what i mean it's just there's nothing like it and both of you guys being dancers, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if the person that might be listening to this later, if they're not dancers, they know what I'm talking about, but it's just the feeling that cannot be described. It's euphoria and better. So that's what it meant.
0: It's so beautiful. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you both for sharing your time and your insights into this very special ballet. Thank you so much.
1: So good, so good speaking to you both. So good, so nice yeah. speaking.
2: Yes, great to see you, Kay. Great to see you. you so too. I
0: To learn more about Afternoon of a Fawn, please consult the reading list that can be found in the notes for this podcast episode. To stay up to date on all City Ballet podcast releases, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll join me again to hear the dance.